There's plenty of live action during March on ATP Tennis Radio. Oh, Starting in the Californian desert, we'll bring you every day of the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells. Unbelievable angle backhand from Dominic Thiem. Just wow. Before moving to the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami for the Miami Open. Presented by Itawu. What a shot. The moment of inspiration from the American. That's live coverage of the ATP Tour on ATP Tennis Radio. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to another ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and this week the globe trotting continues as we hone in on events in Rio, Delray Beach, and Marseille. Talking with Brazilian legends, Russian bears, and the young man who only last week became the highest ranked Norwegian in the history of men's tennis. We begin though at Rio's jockey club in the company of Borna Choric. I spoke with him earlier in the week and started by asking why he'd opted to play the golden swing on clay for the very first time. To be honest, I, I kind of uh, looked back at um, all of my results uh, in February and um, at the beginning of the March. And I also realized that I was not winning many matches back then, you know, in um, indoor tournaments. And actually, I, I think I won two matches in, in like four years. And the second thing was that uh, last two or three years I've been feeling much better on the clay court than on, on the hard court. So, you know, it just seemed very logical to me to go and try to play here. Uh, obviously in um, Buenos Aires I, I haven't started very well, uh, but yeah, hopefully I can, I can change the momentum now here. Now 2018 was just a huge year for you. You ended up an alternate at the Nito ATP Finals. You then had the Davis Cup success. Do you feel, or how much do you feel in a way that that sort of caught up with you last year in 2019? It did a little bit, but uh, to be honest, it was um, also worth, you know, because just winning Davis Cup obviously did mean uh, a lot to me. You know, I was, I remember I was looking um, our past generation um, winning Davis Cup in 2004 or five, I'm not sure now. And I always, I always wanted to do that, you know, so just, uh, just to be part of uh, playing in the finals uh, in the France, which was huge, you know, like 30,000 people and stuff like that. It was really, really huge for me. It was, I would say, the biggest achievement of, uh, of my whole career. But with that, you know, also came that I had a very short time off. I had only like five or seven days off and then I had a really short um, period of time to prepare my body and, and my tennis for the next season and I actually started the season pretty good. Uh, I mean tennis wise it was not great but all the results were still there and then in the middle of the season in Halle um, I got injured and yeah since then I really didn't, didn't pick up my level to where it was before. And you're working with a new coach for the last couple of months, Martin Stepanek. How did that come about and, and what is Martin bringing to your game? Yeah look I mean uh, I know him uh, for the last two, three years. Um, we've been speaking a lot also on the tournament just before because we know each other. We are from a similar area, you know, we, we don't speak the same language, but I think it's a similarish uh, mentality as well. And yeah, just, you know, by talking to him and we, we, we tried um, uh, to go together on uh, two tournaments uh, in the last year. It was uh, Tokyo and Shanghai, I think. And, uh, 
we talked a lot about there and, and also just talking about you know how he sees my game, how I see my game and uh, what things we should work on. Um, we agreed on everything pretty much. Um, so yeah, that was the deal. And, and you know, um, we've been working on, on some things in, uh, in the last few months, which we both agreed that, that I need to improve. But we are both aware that it's, it's going to take some time that it kind of settles down and that I start playing better. So what part of your game have you worked on with Martin? Pretty much on all the aspects, you know, it was my forehand obviously, uh, my serve, we needed to change just a bit. Uh, my volley game, which was very good in 2018, I was really happy about it. But there was also some small things and just in general, you know, I think there is always a space um, for some improvements. You can always be better, there is uh, nobody out there who is perfect. So. We will see what's going to happen in, uh, in, uh, in the next few months, but yeah, I think if I continue to work like this, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become uh, much better very soon. So just finally, how do you feel now in yourself, in your body, and, and what kind of targets are you setting yourself for 2020? Uh, yeah, body is uh, really, really healthy. Uh, last few months I didn't have almost any problems, so I mean, there was some small things, but that's that's uh, honestly normal, because if you're practicing tennis for four hours a day, you're going to have some some small things. Uh, so body is yeah, great and uh, the goals for 2020 is honestly just to stay healthy. You know, like I said many times, when, when I was able to stay healthy, I was always playing very good tennis and I was happy with my results. So that's my main goal and I think by staying healthy, uh, my results should come. I, actually, I hope so. One player whose results are definitely coming is young Norwegian Kasper Rud. Coached by his father, who himself is a former player, Kasper arrived in Rio fresh from his maiden tour title in Buenos Aires. Not long off the plane, I managed to speak with him for ATP Tour Uncovered. Rud serves down the tee. You know, it meant, meant the world for me to get my first title and uh, something that I've been working hard for for a long time already. And uh, I, uh, I really didn't think, you know, until I really got there and was starting to play well in the beginning of the tournament that I could do really well. But, you know, that's how it is. Sometimes you, you come in with uh, sometimes low expectations, sometimes high expectations, but it, it went really well. I, I played some great matches. You've now gone past your, your father. You're the top-ranked Norwegian in history, 34. Yeah. Uh, how much have you talked about that over the past little while? It's been a subject that's been lying there for ages, I feel already. You know, I'm, I'm still only 21 and I'm still young, I feel. So, I mean, I can't uh, say that it's been like this forever. But, I mean, I've been asked this question, you know, a lot during the years uh, coming up, especially in Norway as well. You know, they love the father-son relationship and all that. So, I, I think I've been asked the question at least 100 times uh, in, in media and, and these kind of things. And now, finally, you know, I, can, I don't have to answer the question anymore because I'm, I'm better in the rankings. I, I won my first state to beat Adel, which he, was, he came close to doing but never really managed to do. So I, uh, I beat him in uh, two different uh, areas now. And uh, yeah, like I said in an interview yesterday after the, after the match and after the championship, that uh, I can be the boss uh, in our house now and uh, maybe uh, yeah, control him a little bit more. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, He's, uh, he's still my coach and you know it's it's a big achievement for him as well as a coach you know he he has he has that role now and I think he's just glad to see that his record has been broken and especially that it's from his his own son so I think it's a good achievement from both of us Brazilian tennis has a proud recent pedigree in doubles with the likes of Marcelo Melo and Bruno Suarez both in the draw with their respective partners this week 
I spoke with Suarez and asked where the country's love affair with doubles comes from. Well, that's an interesting question because so many times we get together to talk about that. And, you know, we kind of have different views and opinions on that. My personal opinion is because of our tennis culture. So here in Brazil, we have a lot of country clubs. There's a lot of people playing tennis. And if you walk around in places like we are right now, the jockey club where we play the tournament, if you come here on the weekend, everyone is playing doubles. So this is a big part of it. Where me, Marcelo and Andre, we're from Belo Horizonte. We grew up in the same country club. And we used to go there and play tennis on the weekends. We're always playing doubles with the members, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14. And, you know, you kind of learn how to play the game of doubles. You understand, you know, the shortcuts, how to move, how to anticipate, you know, how to, how to play the game of doubles. And while you're focusing on your singles, you know, working uh, during the week, when you come on the weekend, you're just playing doubles. So I believe we kind of learn how to play the game of doubles from a young age and at least talking from myself and I know Marcelo as well I always really enjoyed playing doubles so for me it was always nice to learn how to play doubles because I wanted to come to the you know events the junior tournaments and win doubles as well how much does the home crowd get behind you here in Rio and how much does that help uh, they get behind us a lot the good thing about Brazilians uh, they like to be involved so every time a Brazilian is watching something they usually pick a side because they want to root for someone. They want to be loud, they want to cheer. And of course, when there's a Brazilian playing, they would support the Brazilian. And uh, it's, it's pretty nice, it's pretty unique because the atmosphere here when we play is, is quite amazing. It's, it's pretty loud, it's pretty special for us. And it's the only tournament we have right now in, in Brazil. So, I mean, it's, it's a big support. Uh, it brings a lot of energy for us. And I think those are the moments that, that, that we play for, you know, to play the big tournaments, the big matches and th those moments that you can play in front of a home crowd. And I know it brings other commitments with it too, but yeah. how much does it mean to you to be able to play a home tournament? It means a lot. If you think about it, we spend, you know, I'm playing 22, 23 tournaments during the year, but I'm spending, you know, 40 weeks of the year out of, uh, away from home. So to be able to combine everything, you know, have a, a big tournament, playing in Brazil, home support, even with all the commitments, it's a pretty busy week, but it's very nice for us to be here, you know, get the love, feel the Brazilian culture, feel like home and play a big tournament. And just finally, um, talk to me about the new partnership. Uh, Mate Pavic, well, it's not new anymore, but, yeah. you know, relatively new. Yeah. How's it going? It's going well. We've been, the beginning was tough for us. Uh, it took us a few months to start it connecting. I always said that I felt like we were playing some good tennis, but just weren't able to win matches. Uh, we had a strong end of the year. We won Shanghai. Unfortunately, on our momentum, uh, when we were playing the finals, the semifinals in Stockholm, he hurt his back. We ended up going to the finals, but he couldn't really play. Compromised the, the end of the year. And the beginning of the year was a little bit stressful as well because he got injured, actually, in our first practice in Doha this year. And we're like, please don't be anything serious. Ended up being just uh, a small uh, injury. I mean, even though we didn't play well the first two weeks because of that, he was 100% in Australia and we could play some normal tennis. Uh, had some good wins, lost a tough matches with match points, but it's been going well. We get along super well uh, outside the court. I feel like we connect every day better and better on court. 
So really looking forward for what's ahead of us. And Mate, for someone who's been a world number one, is still relatively young. Very young. You, I'm sure you'll forgive me for saying you're a little bit older. A little um, bit. The, the yes. senior, Thanks for that. The senior partner in the team. Do you enjoy that being the the, the senior guy? Uh, I kind of have to enjoy it. There's not <laughs> too many players that are younger than me, that are older than me right now. But it's it's nice. It's a. Uh, I feel like it's the first time that I have a big gap. Uh, I'm, uh, like you said, a little bit older, uh, just 12 years, 11 to 12. But it's nice. I think it brings the experience. Mate brings a lot of the youth and the energy uh, for that. But he also brings a lot of experience. He won slam before. He was number one in the world. Even with a young age, he brings a lot of experience for, for the team. So it's nice to have this combination. You know, we are different um, moments on our career but I think once we combine that it's 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 a good fit and from one charming Brazilian to another watching on from the stands this week as unofficial godfather to the Rio Open has been former world number one and three-time French Open champion Guga Curtin as the time passed by you you see I believe more clear a tennis still very emotion to me I often go to the court my hip it's still <laughs> dramatic <laughs> it's a, a tragic to to try anything at the court but uh, uh, stick to me the the goals and on tennis the opportunities the way it uh, changes lives it uh, uh, influence people so it it's, it's it's part of it's my life you know it's it's the way i am uh, on that way, I also need to be around. Uh, it's not that much. I go three or four tournaments all year because, uh, as I said, uh, uh, I don't want to take the bags and travel anymore. <laughs> it's, it's already another stage of, of my life, but I understand it's, uh, it makes so much sense. Uh, uh, we still uh, connected and uh, engage on developed tennis in Brazil, so as personal, as business, commercial, or, or either sentimental, it's just uh, good to be here. And uh, I have the opportunity and also the facility to work together with the tournament. Uh, we know that the image and the, the history contributes a lot, so that's what I, I mean by the time that I, you, you can see more clear, you, you separate the, the person to the, to the character, to the tennis player, and the history and, and the, what we, the achievements. So this, we, we push a lot. The person, it's okay. Yeah, surf, the Florianopolis, my, my family, the kids, it's so, it's so marvelous. And also, we understand we need to push this on tennis. Uh, it's important to me to, to come here, to connect still people, make sure they understand the value of this tournament to the Brazilian tennis and uh, to, the, to the players, for them to, to feel more safe, to come around too. After seven years, it's, it's easier. I think we, we get to, to a point that everybody knows how good it is to, to be playing here on Rio. Uh, at the beginning was one of the challenges to, 
And uh, I'm sure in two or three years we're going to have a Brazilian player with real chance to, to build up more uh, expectations for all of us. Uh, we are anxious for, for this moment, but uh, the, the tournament contributes a lot and uh, I'm sure we are very close. Well, you talk about that and just finally, I wanted to ask you about the young players coming through, Br Brazilian and also Spanish this right. week. We've got well, Carlos Alcaraz, the 16-year-old uh, Spaniard, yeah. but also Thiago Sebot-Vilt, who's come through. Yes. Um, wonderful talent that this tournament always seems to, seems to unearth. Uh, it's real. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> you see the fantastic around it. Uh, this year, again, we have uh, on both sides. Of course, uh, Spanish is normal. <laughs> you look around the moment playing oh, <laughs> from the tree. <laughs> Another is it? They, they produce, they produce uh, unstoppable players. But for us, Brazilian is, is, is very precious. And also, uh, Alcaraz, is, uh, his age and his potential is just bright. You know, it's, you see, you have to. to to look at Nadal, even knowing that's kind of impossible, but perhaps. So this is a great circumstances for everybody. We also have a, a kid the same year. He's just become 17. Pedro Boscardin played the quali and he he lost many times to Alcaraz from because it's the same age and we're trying to to get him close is not gonna be easy now. <laughs> he stepped uh, far away uh, very fast. But uh, for the tennis, it's precious. It's all the mentality, the way you see it, it's, it's a different human being, you know. It's, it's a, a marvelous uh, must, a masterpiece that's, that we're gonna see over and over next uh, 15, 20 years. So I believe also Thiago will, will break through and will give a hard time <laughs> for the, the next generations as, as we go by and uh, we also maintain the question when is going to be the, the year that Roger, Novak and Rafa will give them a chance. Felix, I remember very well, we talked about him last year and uh, everybody who is coming closer and closer, and especially Dominique, who is really looking deep to, to our, our opportunity. So it's nice to, the same time, we, we live in this golden era and have the three best players ever playing together and somehow expecting who is gonna be courageous and uh, good enough to face them uh, will will happen and i'm sure uh, I, I don't know who alcaraz will have to <laughs> to to look uh, at the top, but uh, s someone will have to face him <laughs> in the future. And I hope Thiago as well. He can, can go together, doesn't matter. Sometimes you, you break through 16, 18, 20. Uh, it doesn't seem so much of, of importance. 
what's what's merits to to keep in, increasing and keep uh, uh, develop your your tennis to to the best level as possible. So it's good to to have a, a tournament in the beginning of the the, the year. So you. You got to know one or two uh, newcomers players that uh, it's, it's gonna uh, everybody's gonna pay attention all year long and normally we have the opportunity to <laughs> to launch them to the world you're listening to the atp tennis radio podcast available on itunes spotify TuneIn, and atptour.com and now from Rio and Brazil to Marseille in the south of France, where Richard Connolly has been speaking with Daniel Medvedev about getting used to life as a top seed. To be honest with you, when I was young, it meant a lot. Like when you're playing the smaller tournament uh, in your age and then you're a top seed, you have so much pressure. You're like, OK, I have to win this tournament. Now I take it easier. Me, I know that what I have to do, I just need try to win every match I can. Every match can be so tough. Uh, so I know that uh, many, many times it doesn't mean anything to be the first seed. And uh, you don't always see the first seed winning the tournament. But uh, I just uh, want to you know, show some good tennis, show some good stuff and uh, try to entertain the crowd. How's your year been so far? You had four good wins at the ATP Cup, three wins in, in Melbourne. What have you done well so far in 2020? I think I, I played quite good tennis. I lost two really strong matches, I would say. Of course, uh, I always want to win and, uh, you know, always want to show better results. But uh, I'm just trying to do my thing, trying to, to stay in there, trying to, to gain hours on the practice court and uh, then try to show my, the best I can on the on the tournaments during the matches and uh, as I say I think regarding the results of course I want something better all the time but if we talk about uh, my tennis and the wins I, I did uh, they were quite good. Can you talk about the input that Marit Safin has had because you had the chance to work with him particularly at the ATP Cup what is what are those conversations meant to you and how might they help you both now and in the future? Yeah, I mean, uh, he talked a lot to us. He really tried to help. Of course, there are some things that you can even disagree sometimes, but you always listen, you know, to to players like him. And there are many, many useful things he said. And uh, I don't know if it's going to make an impact, like, let's say, on my future career or even this year. But uh, of course, there are many things that I took for me that I can see or I considered taking for me. And uh, he's a really interesting person to have conversations with, even if you disagree with, them, with him. How was the off-season for you? Because it, I guess, was a lot shorter than previous seasons because you played so phenomenally well. The season was naturally longer last season. So how, how was it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's totally true. And it's uh, kind of interesting and tough at the same time, you know, having first time like this because for like five, six years before you finish the season in the middle or even beginning of November, you kind of don't know what to do for two weeks when you rest and then you have long five weeks of pre-season. Here everything was in a rush, you know, to try to get uh, ready for Australia at the same time, be fresh. Uh, so uh, we decided, we, you know, we made the calendar with my team. I think we made a good one and uh, of course uh, we're going to see, uh, let's say, in the middle of the season how, how good it was. But uh, I think we did everything the right way. But it felt like a rush? Uh, a little bit just because uh, something unusual always feels different and as I say, yeah, here I think the preseason I had was like three weeks. Uh, 
uh, from five or six weeks that I had usually. So, uh, but you know, it felt like a rush, but we didn't rush because if you rush, then uh, it's uh, it's useless what you are doing. So we just try to do our job. We know how hard you've worked to get where you are. Um, are there days when you wake up and you think, you know, I, I don't want to go on court today. I don't want to go to the gym. And what do you say to yourself to push yourself to do it? To be honest, there are a lot of days like this, like really a lot. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's our job. It's not, uh, it's not for fun. We're doing this. It's our job. And me, uh, the best motivation that pushes me that no matter which ranking I had, I always wanted to be higher. I always wanted to win more tournaments, either it was Futures or Challengers before, or now it's ATPs or Grand Slams. I just know that uh, if I permit myself some of the days where I'm going to text my coach and say, I don't want to practice today, let's, uh, let's postpone the practice for tomorrow, which I can do in tennis as an individual sport. But I just know that uh, it's not going to make a good impact on my results, and uh, that's what I'm here for, so I always push myself. Those high expectations you referenced there about always wanting to, to win the next match, the next tournament, how do you deal with that, that pressure that you're putting on yourself to succeed? Uh, that's what I'm actually trying to do. I'm trying to, to win as many tournaments and matches as I can, but without putting uh, too much pressure. Because uh, I'm not saying to myself, OK, I have to win every tournament I play. I have to win every match I play, which I know is impossible. So when you lose, you're kind of, OK, well, that's uh, when it happened. Uh, after, I do think that my main focus and goal is always, even after a lost match, is just to try to see, OK, is there something I did wrong? Is there something I have to improve? And if not, OK, we we'll go for the next one. And uh, that's how pressure gets down. Daniel Medvedev currently at five in the world. And he puts that rise largely down to a more focused approach to his game. And the same can be said for Kazakh Alexander Bublik, who was enjoying a great week in Marseille, free from the distractions of social media. I'm not interested in that, I'm trying to play tennis. If I work on so many things, I have no time to play tennis. I am not in social media for a while. Before, when I got first breakthrough, I was on Instagram, I was everywhere, you know, posting, chatting, leaving comments, everything that. It takes, you know, it takes your inner peace, that's what my opinion. When you're taking things quietly and you do quiet things. Okay, I can be loud here, you know, with the fans, 20 minutes a day, it's fine. But when you do it and you know, you wake up, you check Instagram, when you wake up, you go after the match, you check Instagram, you play your friends, you know, you give so much out and then of course you don't have enough for you and for your family. That's that's what I think. I'm a family person, I like my friends, I love my you know, family. So I just trying to stick more into that one because here this is two different lives. So, and I don't want to bring to my personal life this Instagram, the fame we have here, the tournaments and everything. So I just want to be away from it. That's, that's how it is. I'm very happy to bring out the level on a consistent basis and I made the final new point. I'm very happy with that. I have a long-term goal, you know, to be a successful player and success means for everyone is different. Maybe I'll be happy to be top 20, maybe I'll be happy to be top 50. Maybe I won't be happy if I'll be number one. You never know. So I'm just trying to grow a little, be a better man, better person and better tennis player. So I just enjoying day to day. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Finally this week, we stay in France, but travel to Pau, where tour regular Jeremy Chardy was born and takes up the role of tournament director at the city's Challenger event. Lee Goodall's been finding out how that role came about. First of all, it was um, 
an idea I had because uh, the tennis in my region is uh, going down. Um, less people are playing tennis and uh, um, I really think without uh, high level and uh, without the, the kids to see uh, high level player, uh, see um, a big tournament, it's tough to dream or get motivation and uh, it's always the same when there is a World Cup in rugby, in football or the Tour de France, you you want to go play football, play rugby. And uh, I just say, if we can uh, make a tournament, the people will come, we will uh, do a lot of things with the kids and uh, I hope it will make, uh, want to play tennis, uh, make them dream. So I say, okay, uh, it's like this. I start the ID and uh, uh, it was good because uh, I talk with the city, uh, I talk with all my sponsors and uh, everybody helped me. So um, it was, easier but um yeah it's it, it's a it's a nice project something uh, really important for me uh, i wanted to give back to tennis what the tennis give, give to me and uh, i really think it's important last year we did a lot of things with kids i play with uh, a lot of them we invite them to see uh, the because even if the change or two the level is really good the player are playing really good and uh, to to be able to see in person the 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 speed of the ball, the it make just it make you want to play tennis. So that's why my main goal, and uh, that's why we we start the project. And uh, now we we start for three years, and uh, after three years we will see the result because I just do that to try to uh, p uh, promote the tennis and. Uh, and help the club. Uh, that's why we invite all the tennis coach last year. Um, Patrick Morak Togluk came to talk with the coach because you know when you're in um, in your tennis club, uh, you're far from the high level. So I think everybody has question. The young one has uh, the young coach has question. The older one maybe they they don't you they don't know the 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 new tennis. So I think it's always good to to talk about tennis. And um, yeah, there is a lot of things to do during this project. And uh, I really hope it make the kids want to play tennis. Uh, we organized a tournament for uh, the, the kids from eight years old to 10 years old. Uh, we had 197 kids who played that tournament. Uh, and I was really happy with that because uh, um, that generation will be the future of tennis. So. Uh, um, I do the, this tournament for, for the kids and uh, and in the tournament I try in my team to put a lot of uh, of people involved in tennis in my region to uh, like this they can see how we organize the tournament, be in contact with player, with the ATP, uh, they can ask questions and uh, I think it helped everybody. Everybody was really happy last year and uh, we, I will continue to do it and uh, I, I really enjoy it too. Yeah, fantastic. And I think it's in uh, end of February, is that right? Yeah, That's 20, 24 February we start the tournament. Yeah, and Bublik won, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Bublik won. So a good tournament. champion. Yeah, he was a good champion because, uh, you know, when um, you have to explain to people what is a challenger, because not everybody knows tennis, you explain that the challenger is the, the tournament where the young people start and the, the people who, who start to win challenger they go to the tour and most of the time they co become top under top 50 and i explained that to all my sponsor all the people 
And uh, it was a perfect example because uh, Bublik, when he came to my tournament, he was 130, I think. And uh, now he's 50 in the world. So he's a really good example. Yeah. Po is the key for the player. <laughs> I, I will tell, uh, can you tell every, every <laughs> player on the tour like this, they will come to play my tournament. <laughs> um, just lastly, because you mentioned the next generation in France. Obviously, we've been used to so many great players come from coming from France. Quite a few of that group now. I mentioned a couple, Simon, Songa, Gasquet, um, Guillaume Monfils, coming not towards the end of their career, but the set, the, certainly the, the second half of their career. But you've got, this year we've seen Umber and Mute. They look like good youngsters. Do you think they're going to have good careers, those guys? Are those, are those the two that sort of stand out of the next generation from France? Yeah, I mean, like you say, it will be difficult because... Um uh, we all of them <laughs> are close to stop, <laughs> included myself. So, uh, so yeah, we need a new generation, and um, we don't have so many good players. Um, like you say, we have Amber, we have Mute, um, we have Barrer, uh, Luca Pouille is still young, but um, after is is not easy. We don't have so many uh, good French players, so. I hope these three, four players <laughs> will play good and for a long time because, uh, um, you know, in France, everybody expects us to win the Grand Slam and <laughs> every time you lose in the Grand Slam, they, they're like, oh, you're not good enough, you don't practice good enough. But <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's the same for every country <laughs> except uh, Roger, Rafa and Novak. <laughs> they, they are not so nice. They never share the cake. They, they, they take everything for themselves. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why, but uh, the future of the French tennis doesn't look so good. Uh, but I hope we will have a, a good surprise with maybe some younger one. Uh, junior or even younger because I, I don't know them but uh, it's the only thing I hope for the French tennis Thanks to Jeremy and all of this week's guests remember to go to atptour.com for all the latest content and results from Rio Delray Beach and Marseille next week there are two ATP 500s in Dubai and Acapulco and with the likes of Novak Djokovic Stefanos Tsitsipas, Gael Monfils, Rafa Nadal, Nick Kyrgios, Sasha Zverev and Stan Wawrinka all in action. I think we can promise plenty more exclusive content in next week's podcast. We'll catch you then. In the meantime, enjoy the tennis. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.